Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome to Conversational Witchcraft with me, Dawn the Kitchen Witch. If you haven't yet, make sure you go on and follow and like and subscribe to this podcast. We've got so much great stuff coming down the pike. And first and foremost, we have got to talk about tonight's guest. This is Antonio Pagliarulo. Antonio Pagliarulo, a New York guy after my own heart. Uh, He is the author of The Evil Eye, the history, mystery, and magic of the quiet curse. He writes regularly about spirituality, witchcraft, and paganism, and the intersection of folk magic with popular culture and religion, which I think is just fantastic. He's been published in the Washington Post, NBC News, New York Daily News, Religion News Service, and The Wild Hunt. The son of Italian immigrants, Pagliarulo was schooled since childhood in the ways of Italian folk magic. As such, his practice draws from paganism, Roman Catholicism, evil eye magic, and tarot. Pagliarulo holds a BA in sociology from Purchase College, State University of New York, and he lives in Manhattan with his husband, a native New Yorker. Uh, Hello, hello, Antonio, and welcome, welcome. Pleasure to be here. I am so happy to have you. I am so thrilled to be here, and it is true. I am a native New Yorker, and my, uh, my partner is actually a native from New Jersey, but so it's tri-state. It's the same again. It's the state. same That's thing. Okay. Same thing. We were having so much fun. Like literally before I hit record, we've talked about everything already. Everything. From like uh, growing up in New York to moving to New England to I, I mean I don't know. Like I said when we first like hit the button to see each other, I was like, oh, it's cousin Tony. Like we've been. Like, <laughs> I said, can you? I said, Joan, can you see me? It was like, yeah. What's going oh, on? Yeah. How are you? Doing. How are you? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I, there are folks that maybe listen to this broadcast that maybe don't know that I'm from New York originally, but now I'm going to hang out with you all night and it's going to come out. You could take the girl out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of the girl. Now, right before we hit record, we were talking about how I don't speak Italian. I mean, lasagna, manicotte, mozzarella, that's like all I speak in Italian. Right. Uh, also guilt. I do speak guilt. Um, but I'm fluent in that as well. I'm fluent in guilt. I don't, I don't use it, but I can <laughs> speak it. Um, but you were saying that you do speak fluent Italian because your parents are, are immigrants. My parents are uh, immigrant. They came here as teenagers, both from the south of Italy. And when I grew up in the Bronx, we lived in in our neighborhood, the t- the houses, you know, that sort of typical two family. We were upstairs. And my grandparents, my mom's parents, who spoke no English, they only right. spoke Italian, lived downstairs, and they spoke um, the dialect of their, you know, their region in the Campania region. And so we grew up. My siblings and I grew up, you know, speaking the dialect which neapolitan it's a derivative really of neapolitan when you think about it i mean i think of neapolitan actually as its own language more more than a dialect yeah. it really is but um so we grew up speaking every day it was just back and forth you know my parents and my mom actually interestingly was born in italy um but spent many years as a kid living in argentina and then came wow to um, New York to the United States. So I grew up in a house and I can, 
you know, depending, my mom will still speak to me in, in Italian. And sometimes when she starts speaking in Spanish, I know I'm in, in something is, I might be in a certain kind of trouble, or maybe I did something right. I don't know. It depends on the words <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, we grew up in a multilingual, but it was mainly um, Italian, English. But my mom spoke to her parents, believe it or not, a lot of the time in Spanish as well. So wow. it was this, this three, but my, my dad's from body from down south and when my mother's from the campagna region in italy as well and we just grew up speaking both it was very natural and, I, and i'm so now you know as an adult i'm so grateful that yeah. i have that because you know it's helped me and it helps you it helps just with relations even just knowing culturally certain things you know you, you look at things you read things and you just know, and it brings back a lot of memories too. Well, and it connects you to heritage and it connects you to, uh, you know, origin stories and it connects you to homeland of a people that you came from. And, and I think there is something really uh, deeply primal about that kind of connection. Um, you know, I, I don't speak a word of Italy, of, of Italian, my grandmother. So never really had a very close relationship with my father's side of the family. His side of the family is Sicilian and my mother's side of the family is Napolitan. So um, it's my maternal grandmother who I knew and grew up with, right? She came over when she was like six or seven with her parents and they didn't like, you know, they didn't speak a word of English, but they told their kids this is the 1920s, 1930, late 1920s. And they were like, you, we moved to America. You speak English. You don't yeah. speak Italian. You could speak Italian in the house if you want to, but they discouraged it, right? So yeah. the, the grandparents, my great-grandparents, only spoke Italian, but their kids spoke English to them. So then when my grandmother grew and grew up in New York, uh, in Queens, um, she only spoke English and that language sort of died with the great grandparents, my great grandparents, her parents. And that I feel like I've always felt really sad about that. You know, I, I've missed out on that. I tried to take Italian in high school. That didn't go so well. Um, but I've always, right? It just doesn't go so well. But I've always felt like I missed out on that. And as I am now an adult in my 40s, I don't have connection with that part of myself. And I would love to have it, you know? Don't you feel like that's so important? Oh, I feel like it's so important. I do. And but it's not an uncommon story. Even even growing up in the neighborhood where I grew up, which was very, very diverse in the Bronx. It wasn't only an Italian, you know, neighborhood. We had many ethnicities where I grew in, in the neighborhood where I grew up. And um I have to say, of the the Italian families and the kids I grew up with and went to, I went to a very small private, you know, very Catholic grammar school and um, very small, but of the Italian, the kids who I grew up with, who had parents, you know, whose parents were immigrants, I think I remember two who were in, you know, sort of my situation where they grew up speaking Italian, but the majority of, of the others, no, it was very, as you said, it was discouraged. Mm -hmm. And that's, I feel like that's a, because I've had this discussion, uh, many many times with people who've said to me you know like i grew up my parents discouraged it or my grandparents said no don't do that yeah that was a pretty common thing they just wanted everyone i think to assimilate and and you know just don't talk about that or don't you know ignore it or just concentrate on on learning english and 
nobody really retained it yeah. uh, very much. Why do you think that was? And what do you think that, and just speaking about Italians specifically, what do you think that a lot of us have lost because that was discouraged at that time? Well, I think it, I think it was literally, I mean, for, I remember my grandfather always would say to me, oh, you don't know how fortunate you are because you grew up, you have the line, he would say, you know, you have la lingua, you have the lingua, the language already here. So you have such an advantage of being here because he came here and he never learned to speak English. So I think for the, for, I know in a lot of the Italians I grew up with, um, the older generations, there was just this need to assimilate and to let the kids assimilate. There was this fear that this process would be repeated. They didn't want to, their kids to go through what they went through, you know, not understanding this, not reading that, not doing that. And so that was their way of, of saying, you know what, this is where you are. And let's just, you know, we want you to learn this way of life. And in some cases, um, yeah, a lot of the language, not the traditions in a lot of cases didn't get lost. I mean, I do know traditions were kept up in the home and things like that, depending upon the home, but the language certainly got lost. And I think, you know, you, I think what is lost in that is its own, there's a certain vernacular kind of magic that's lost in it because even when the prayers, and I've listed a few of them um, in the book that are, I wrote them out phonetically, you know, and, and the words that are spoken in Neapolitan, for example, that I've written out phonetically, there's magic in those words mm -hmm. and, and in the way they're spoken. And you do, you have to know, and, and, you know, I'm, but don't worry, I will teach you, Dawn, you will, you will know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, besides cool. the fungal, you know, um, <laughs> other than that, I got, I got nothing. Uh, but I think it's so interesting, you know, and again, we've just learned that you and I are pretty much the same age. Um, and so our parents are close in age and, and generationally speaking, like we're all growing up at the same time. And it's very interesting to think that like my relatives were like, nope, you don't speak Italian. Yeah. And your relatives were like, well, we're going to hold on to this piece uh, and, and maintain that heritage. And I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible. And I'm, I'm a little jealous and I'm going to lie. Um, <laughs> And you do you do talk so much about in your writing, especially in this book, The Evil Eye, which is awesome. And we're going to like totally talk about it in more depth. But you talk about like you just touched on the um, the traditions that get passed down. And this sort of lingual tradition is one thing, but it's that folk magic that's coming through. Um, I say all the time, I'm a little Italian kitchen witch who learned how to kitchen witch from her grandma who had no idea she was a kitchen witch. She didn't know. She just did these things and it was just what you did. It's what you did. And I also say when, when talking about folk magic and, and the rituals of, of the evil eye or diagnosing or other folk magic rituals that certainly perhaps I've not written about in this book or that I might've written about in, in articles in other places or that I still practice on my own. I always say that it's folk magic and my, my grandparents, you know, who I grew up with downstairs would never, they, they didn't know they were practicing what they knew. And did they know that it was probably something outside of what the church, you know, yeah, they knew because that was fine, but it wasn't, they would never have considered themselves witches. Mm -hmm. 
never have used those words. I mean, in Italy, you know, if you call someone Nastrega, that's not a compliment. Well, not um, now, it, not uh, anymore. Not, you know, I not right. I mean, there's a, a whole big thing about how so much of this stuff. It, it, going back to it, my yeah, my grandparents were doing these kinds of rituals that are folk magic, but they didn't consider themselves like your grandmother. She was a kitchen witch and 100%. didn't necessarily know that the magic she was doing in that kitchen is magic. And it's the way they, not only the, 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 the ingredients, it's the way that they stirred things. It's the way they spoke to, to the food. It's the way they connected with it, how they taught you to. Yes. Yeah. yeah little things like, um, and I've told this story before when I've had conversations with herbalists, which is interesting, but like, I can remember being little and being at my grandmother's house and being this time of year, you know, early spring. And she would go outside and she would say, come on, we're going to make dandelion omelet. And we would go out into the yard and we would pick dandelions. And I was like, dandelions are weeds, grandma. Like you're crazy, you know? And she would be like, no, you know, dandelion is the first, you know, thing that comes up in spring and it's sacred because of this. And, and she never would use the word sacred, but she would talk about how nutritious it was and how it does this and it does that. And we're going to chop it up. And she would take the stems and she would be ch chomping on the stems of the dandelion while she was sauteing the greens and making eggs. And, you know, and, and you're like, you're a kid and you're like, my grandmother's insane. And then you get older and you're like, oh, that reverence for earth, the understanding of why it's important to have reverence for this little plant, the nutritional value, the uh, the non-wastefulness. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. of of a of a first of all of a people in general and then also of a generation you know growing up in the depression and and the, and the dandelion omelet thing something she got from her mother because they had very little in Italy so they would go out into the yard and they would say okay what are we growing and what can we eat and what's edible that's all tactile practical folk magic mm -hmm. in understanding how we use what earth is giving us and why to use earth, what earth is giving us. And they understood, like when you explained what your grandmother understood and what they understood was also the, the nourishment, not only the, the nutrients, you know, not only the physicality of it, you know, if you're nourishing your body, they understood, even if they didn't say it, they understood that these herbs, these things, these rituals, they were nourishing the soul. They were nourishing the spirit. Yes. And that was done through the speech, uh, you know, speaking about, you know, no, use this, use this chewing on it, how it's, how it's cultivated. My grandfather um, grew, you know, in the basement of our home, he made wine, you know, we had the of wine. Uh, had the grappa. Yeah, the gra the the grappa. yeah, I mean, you really have the grappa, that's, yeah. yeah, the best, but I mean, he used to make wine and he had that, that press. And aside from that, he had, um, you know, huge tomato gardens, mm. both here and in upstate New York. And he used to do all of his planting based on the phases of the moon. Now, oh, you I talk remember, about that in the book. Yeah. It's, can you talk a little bit? Like, I don't want to take anything. If you really want to hear the story, read the book. But I would love to hear you tell that whole story. He would absolutely do all his planting. He knew just from growing up, you know, in an agricultural town, a town where that's all they had, you know, he did all of his planting, all of his by the phases of the moon. And he would, he was that he could look at the sky and look and say, oh, no, I understand this or this. Um, 
he also made the wine after the wine was made and, you know, went into these big jugs, you know, you had like walls of wine and then walls of mason jars of tomatoes all over the basement that lasted you for almost a year. And it was always outrageously delicious, but he would move the wine up on another shelf based upon what phase of the moon has the moon changed. And I re I knew that early on, but I didn't quite understand it until I was, in my teenage years, and I really started to get more interested in, you know, I, I knew my whole life that I was a practitioner and that I'm a practitioner. But when I really started to seek it out and understand what was going on around me, that was one of the things I remembered right away. And I would say, you know, and he would say, well, la luna, equina, luna is full of la luna, you know, and it goes back to my mother tells the story that when she was pregnant with me, um, she was very late and i don't know i was probably due on like the eighth of that month where they say you know and i was born on the, the 13th of that month anyway she always tells the story that my grandfather told her you know just sit tight because he's not going to be born until this happens with the moon until this particular phase because his belief growing up it was basically at that time of the month when the moon was and then i was born during i believe you know the very dark of the, of the and he believed that and he always practiced that it was part of what he grew up with and he told her you're not going to give birth until the moon changes and moves into this phase wow. and she the mother was like all right what am i going to do and she, and she always says even to this day and she says you know he was you know, within a 24 hour period, like he was right. She said, he said those two wow. days and wow. I was born on, you know, the 13th of that month. And I think he told her it would be between, you know, the, you know, the 11th, you know, or the 12th or yeah. the 13th was the 12 and the 13, I think was the thing. And you and said earlier that you're born on the feast of St. Anthony. I am a June 13th baby. I'm a born. So I came with my name, as my mother said, and uh, as my my grandfather wow. told her. In this particular phase of the moon that your grandfather was like, nope, this is when this kid is coming because that's, that's when course. babies are yeah. born. And this is uh, right. So, so you're so outrageous. Who, by the way, the most outrageous, speaking agriculturally, um, about the phases, I remember he had the most outrageous garden, not only the tomatoes. You know, we'd have these, you know, the pumbarolas would come and uh, they were so delicious. And so, I mean, just outrageous, tasted of the earth. I still remember the taste of these spread, the basil he grew, um, the rosemary, the mint after, you know, years later, he would love to chew on mint. And he would, he believed very profoundly, again, in some of the, the properties. And he didn't necessarily say, oh, this, you know, I write about mint in the book as something I write about the magical properties, you know, of it briefly with regard to the, the evil eye and how it can help you in certain ways. But he didn't get into that aspect of it, but he would say, this is something that's, you know, have this at least, you know, twice a week, do this because it's going to help you in a lot of ways. And that's how they sort of passed on this knowledge. Right. If we're chewing on mint, it's good for our digestion. You know, physically, it's good for our digestion. It's great for heartburn and all those things. Magically, we're speaking about mint being good for emotional digestion. Magically, mm -hmm. we're speaking about mint being a purifier. It's a protector. It's all these things. And, and it's like innately because of these folk traditions, they knew and they passed that on. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier, where you said it was around your teens, yeah. where you realized, oh, hang on a second. 
this, you know, this moon magic thing, this, you know, this, these, the folk traditions and all that. You went to a traditional Italian Catholic school. Am I correct? It was a Catholic, a very, yeah, Catholic school. And we were, it was, I mean, we were, there was Italian, Irish, there was all, you know, just, it was a Catholic school, a lot of Italian, certainly, but also a lot of Irish, a lot of um, Latin America. We had a lot of different um, ethnicities, but the school was a Catholic private school. Yes. Right. Your nuns were very influential. They were. They were. My nuns are still, uh, and I always say that my nuns are still uh, you know, in, in habit, like the order of nuns that educated me. And they were, and I always say, you know, they were excellent teachers. We got my, my sister, and my brother always to say, you know, we, the education was, was good, but yes, we did go to a very, very Catholic school. Right. And I'm a, yeah. And right. then, so then like you said, I've always been a practitioner and I kind of always knew that, but was there a pivotal moment? Was there a light bulb moment where you were like, Oh, I'm a witch or, oh, this is witchcraft or, you know, finding that and going, oh, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I understand what strega is now and that's who I am. Was there a moment or was it gradual? Did you find it gradually or was it a light bulb moment? Yeah, what a great question. Yeah, you know, when I think back on it and I've thought back on it a lot, I I think like most of us, I, I knew before there was anything to know mm. and... Uh, you you know you know it, but I can always think back to an experience I actually had. Interestingly, um, in a in church in a Catholic church in this, the church we went to in the Bronx, and I was probably twelve or thirteen, and I prayed desperately for something, and I felt it for the first. And I think looking back. I understood it made after after it came to pass that what I asked for, which was largely in my mind impossible anyway, this sort of miracle that was a personal thing for me and then to, you know, the saint I prayed to, um, that it came to pass afterwards. I think that was what opened up for me this realization that, you know, the mind and the the intention and how we can connect with what's very, very um, close to us. Actually, I always say, and I think I write it in the book that when people talk about the other side or, or, you know, the spiritual realm, there's this idea oftentimes, not always for people, but sometimes that it's out of reach. It's really far away. Going back to that experience with, with prayer and with what I can realize now was meditation as well, because as I was really meditating as I was praying, I realized um, that it made me understand that the spiritual world, the other side, is not far away. It's beside us right now. It's just, it's right here. It's right here. Whoever you, you know, the spirits that we're calling upon are right here. It's not, you know, the veil is there, sure, but it's right with us and it's not mm-hmm. far out. And that was the pivotal moment for me when I turned back and realized that. The veil is never really that far away. The, uh, you know, we talk about above, below, and within. And these things, again, I think oftentimes the perception is that they are other than us, but Mm -hmm. they are not other than us. We are them and they are us. We're just on different planes. So more like... Um, 
three pieces of paper in a notebook together, you know, above, below, within versus three separate notebooks with three separate covers laid out on a table. Yes. It's just and easily to turn the page to Mm -hmm. find, you know, just like you said, reaching out, like, especially when it comes to, in my experience, ancestral work, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's a challenge for someone like me who doesn't have those deep ties to biological family and, and that biological um, connection. Um, and, and I had someone tell me once, uh, you might not know your ancestors, but they know you, right? Because in talking about like, you know, getting older and going, wow, I'm so more, so much more interested and I'm leaning into my Italianness, you mm-hmm. know, and, cool. and being like, oh, being connected with that and through the food and culture and all of those things. It is right here. And our mm-hmm. gods and our, whoever we're worshiping, whoever we're praying to, and I'm going to put the word prayer in quotes because for me, prayer is meditation, it's energy work, it's spells, it's all those things. It's just another word for how you perceive the energy you're putting out, just for me. Um, But it is right here. And Mm -hmm. I love that you were able to perceive that at a young age. It was a tremendous, tremendous gift. And I realized it right after, of course, you know, it happened. And that changed, you know, totally flipped my life on a, you know, the other way. And that's what led me completely on this path. And it was also, um, I went from a very, very Catholic Mm. private school uh, where there were, I think we graduated, I think there were 23 kids in my class when we graduated. And we had all gotten, all 23 of us had gone from kindergarten to eighth grade together. So, and that's why, you know, I'm still in touch with many of my grammar school friends. Wow. um, We grew up together. But after that eighth grade, I um, went off to, had this experience, which was like, whoa, I went to a public um, school here in Manhattan, which was like, talk Mm. about culture shock. Mind blown. Mind blowing. Yeah. And I went to a specialized high school here in the city. Um, and I got another, again, another a great gift because I got to meet all these, you know, kids who were of different ethnicities and backgrounds. And that was when I, and I think I mentioned at the beginning of the book that I met these kids who were talking about the evil eye, just in different terms and in different words. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute, what do you mean that you know what Malocchio is? And they were like, what's no, I'm talking about, you know, this or, you know, they would say it. And we started talking about the things we did and how those, again, folk traditions and the folk magic of that came through um, based, you know, from their own families, their own ethnicities, their own cultures, their own countries. So that was a huge other big gift that woke me up and made me, you know, led me even further, thankfully, you know, on, on, you know, the path of of magic, witchcraft. Um, Yeah, definitely. That was a huge. How do you go from what I would call a a budding witchlet in (laughs) high school where you're learning about witchcraft and you're also, listen, adolescence and i'm using adolescence as the time between let's say 13 and 18 13 and 20 when we're all still kind of figuring it the fuck out right 
Right. And it's not just about spirituality. We're learning who we are, what we like, where we want to go. There's a lot of pressure, right? It's it's the 90s. We're like, I don't know. Every, life is great. I don't think people at that age right now could possibly understand what it was like to grow up in the 90s because everything was awesome. Like, we didn't live in a world of, of school shootings and pandemics. Yeah. And I think it was like the last great uh, period to be a kid growing up. Uh, no email. No email. No email. You know, right. There was no email. There was no internet. Thank God there was no internet when I was a teenager. There would... We went to the library to research our, our papers and. <laughs> You right. know, go to the library. It's like, wow. You it was know? the birth of the internet. Like, we learned about the internet in internet classes, and we had dial-up, and you couldn't take dirty pictures of yourself and post them anywhere. Oh, no. um, and no. that's why I say, thank God there were no, there was no camera phones when I was a kid. Um, oh, <laughs> very bad. Um, but how do you go from all that self-discovery, and you just seem like you were way more self-aware than most adolescents are. It sounds like you were way more, before to have these moments as an adolescent. How do you go from, I'm an adolescent discovering my witchcraft and my spirit and my heritage to becoming this amazing writer and writing books on evil eye and writing books on witchcraft? Like, what happened in the middle, Antonio? You know, I think... I Looking back, I don't know that I was all too self-aware. Look, I still feel like I'm figuring things out for real. Sometimes I'm like, what What do I got? I still have a lot to figure out, man. Um, and, and I have, like everyone, I think those moments. But I was, what happened is that I think, thankfully, um, my my mom was always very, very encouraging. And I always mm. tell people she was, you know, an immigrant, but she was unlike so many, um, the typical, a lot of people would say to me, oh, the typical sort of, you know, do you have to do this because your mom, you know, did this or that. And a lot of the stuff is true. I had to call my mother if I was going to be late and I had to find a payphone because if not, the cops were dispatched because the anxiety <laughs> it was like, where are you? You got to be home at four. That's it. Yes. So those things, it was like, you know, this Italian household where you, I told you to be home, you better be home. But my mother was very, very always, you know, encouraging of, of different things. When I went to the high school of performing, I had LaGuardia High School, I went to the high school performing arts. Um, she was very encouraging, not only with me, but with my sister, my brother, um, and, and my parents in general, you know, were both were very, very much like, you know, go in and and do that and explore and see what it is that you're you're going to like. Um, and when I was a teenager and I loved, you know, spending my Saturdays, you know, books were just for me the I must have been a book in a past life because books were just my greatest, you know, joy and my passion. I still mm -hmm you know, to get a book in the mail, you know, it's like, I just like, and I can't walk around and not have a book with me. And growing up as a teenager to read for hours and hours was just my thing. And I loved it. And they never discouraged anything. Um, when I said, I, I like writing and I want to write about this and I want to write about that. Um, it was very, I think looking back, it was vital. And it, it was a great gift that there was never that sense of that's nice, but you're not going to be able to do that. Um, it was never put mm. in me like that. My mother was very, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, let's see, what are you going to do? 
and write this, write that. You know, my dad liked to look at the articles I wrote. Um, you know, my mom's sister, my aunt, who also was always very, you know, and very involved, always encouraged um, my siblings. I'm the youngest of three. So there was a lot of encouragement. My brother, my sister encouraged. Um, that had a profound, you know, effect that I knew I had people who were rooting for me sort of in that sense. With regard to the the magic and the writing, I remember also a pivotal point realizing when I went to the library <clears throat> and finding um, Leo Martello's witchcraft, the old mm. religion, you know, as a teenager, you know, finding this um, yeah. and reading it and saying, oh my gosh, like this is really cool stuff. And um, a lot of it resonated with me. A, a lot of it was completely new. You know, I didn't know, you know, a lot of what the uh, these roots that he was writing about and in practices, I didn't know any of those things, but it was fascinating to me. Um, and that led me further into this, uh, into the, uh, the path of magic. And knowing that I was always writing, that was always my, those were my two um, sort of my outlets. They weren't you know, like going in different directions. It was just the same thing. For me, there was, you know, writing was magic, mm. but magic was always being, you know, was sort of the story that was always being written inside of my head. Mm. You know, I just never sort of separated the two. Right. And, you, and your first life experiences and growing up in a house that was practicing Italian folk magic because it's just yeah. what you did. You yeah. can't, and and we talk about this often on the show. You can't really separate the magic or the witchcraft from the person because we are the magic. It's how we move through the world. It's in our everyday things. It's not always about this ritual we're doing outside or the you know this pointed thing that we're doing a spell or whatever. It is in the practical things that we do every day. So it, it's in your writing because you are that craft that you yeah. are putting onto the page. You can't separate it out. It, it is part of you. You know, um, my, my husband is uh, a musician. Yeah. And when we first met, I realized very quickly, he is the music. The music is him it's never going to be not who he is. You can't separate that out and go, well, that's a nice thing that you like to do, but it's, you know, just like you saying, you know, I am a creative person. I am a writer. And your parents saying it is you, it is part of you and there is no separation. And I think I want to make a point to say, if there are people out there that are listening to this and you have children, here is a, an example of someone who was fully encouraged to be 100% who you are, to do the things you love to do, to go explore and find what made you joyful and what made you this amazing individual. And in that way, you were able to flourish as yourself. And mm -hmm. I grew up in an opposite environment to that and have struggled every step and going, Oh, am I good enough? Oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe it's not going to work out, you know, and, and fought with, that. I mean, it's like two decades worth of therapy to be like, yeah, man, I can do what I'm doing. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You know? Um, but the amount of encouragement that your parents gave you yeah. to have the space to find what it was that you loved. I mean, even going to a performing arts school, 
you know i, I if well, i yeah, that was that was scary for them that, yeah. to, that was a big deal i didn't there was a while after i got accepted where i thought to myself like i was like mom you know like i'm i'm doing this and it was taking the train you know my the six train to out of the bronx to probably either 125th or all the way to 42nd, the shuttle to Times Square, the, the, the one or the nine back then they, they were still away to, to 66th Street at Lincoln Center. Jeez. So it was a big deal, yeah. you know, and, and um, but again, that encouragement and, and it was also, you know, my, my sister is a, a gifted, you know, painter and an artist and my brother um, is a musician. He can pick up a guitar and then just like, or new instruments and just play wow. that kind of thing. And again, that too, yeah, it was encouraged. It was never frowned upon. It was just okay. Yeah, it was. It was encouraged, and it was more of a big deal. I have to say, when when I said I'm going to this high school, uh, and it wasn't a Catholic high school, and that's what they were used to. Yeah, don't forget. Um, but and it was it was you know an hour and a half at that time to get to from the Bronx on four different trains yeah. one way. So that that was more of sort of a. Uh, that was a pretty big hurdle. It was it was funny to think back on it about how, you know, they I give my mother credit some still to this day. I'm like, mom, you you really you let me go at 14 years old on this train. I wouldn't and, have let my kid go. Yeah. If I had a kid right now, I'd be like, you're not going on any train by yourself to Midtown. <laughs> Come on. No, and it still it was funny. I remember having to get up at like five or saying it dark in the winter and i'd leave yeah. the house and she'd come out the window and she'd watch me go down the street and then i had to turn the corner and walk to the train which was a 10 minute walk but she couldn't see me and i, I used to say to her mom once i get to the corner like you're not going to see me so you can't and it somehow it didn't matter <laughs> she had to watch me go yeah. down until she couldn't funny. see you anymore until she couldn't and my grandfather would you know downstairs was constantly you know um Every morning there was, God forbid, there was a bad dream. If I woke up, and if he had a bad dream, there were symbols and dreams. That was another aspect of things. Wow. He would say, which means be careful today. I dreamt of, you know, pears were a very bad thing in his, you know, where he grew up. Like a, the, the symbology of it. Um, water was not from his area of a good symbol. Like there were different things that were more omens and so I would wake up sometimes and, and be ready to go to school and I'd go downstairs and he'd already be up, of course, you know, at fine reading his, his, you know, newspaper. Um, and my grandmother too, although by, by the time I was in high school, my grandmother had passed on, but my grandfather would, would warn if there was a bad dream, you know, that was like part of also, you know, sort of the folk magic that went mm -hmm. into it, you mm -hmm. know, these dreams and these symbols that you were, you know, told to recognize. And wow. Wow. So that is going to lead us right into talking about your new book, The Evil Eye. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our amazing sponsors. And then we're going to come right back and we're going to get into your amazing new book. It's really incredible and people need to know about it. So we'll be right back with the incredible Antonio Pagliarulo. Uh, be right back. Hey guys, I've just got to tell you all about the Robin's Nests. They're one of my absolute 
favorite shops uh, for everything for my metaphysical and spiritual needs. They've got gifts and crafts and potions and ritual items and books and books and books. Uh, Of course, candles and crystals and ritual wear. So, so many things to help you on your spiritual practice. Um, But what really makes the Robin's Nest special is the owner, Robbie Packard. She does so much to bring community and friendship and openness, welcoming people into her space at the Robin's Nest, but also into this spiritual space of anything, pagan, witchcraft, spiritual. Uh, You've just, if you're local to Massachusetts, you've got to go check her out. She's down in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Um, And if you're not local, please check them out online uh, at therobinsnestma.com. She's able to ship all over. She's able to get you what you need. She's available for questions. And of course, they have tons of online uh, workshops and classes and rituals. So really a way for you to connect with a spiritual community uh, right now from your home. Check them out, therobinsnestma.com. And send Robbie a little bit of love from me because when you when you meet her, when you go to her shop, you are going to be transported into a world of loving magic and community growth. At Cucina Aurora Kitchen Witchery, we are constantly bringing people together around great food. We help you make your own mealtime magic at home with our line of delicious infused olive oils, authentic risottos, seasoning mixes for dips, and even our brand new line of coffee for moon magic and seasonal brews. Keep an eye out this spring for our fabulous new line of magical marinara in roasted garlic pomodoro and coming soon, sweet basil pomodoro. Not to mention cookbooks, cutting boards, and wooden spoons for all your kitchen witchy needs. Visit us at cucinaaurora.com, on Instagram at cucinaaurora, and on Facebook at cucinaaurora slash food. Welcome back. We're here with the amazing Antonio Pagliarulo. I'm having the best time with you, cousin Tony. That's how I'm going to call you from now on. I told you we knew each other before we met. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I so we must have, we must have met somewhere. I, I mean, we grew what? up in New York it's, at the same time. Yeah, but it's the energy. It's the energetic stuff. I'm telling you. It's like I said when. I, as soon as I saw you, I didn't say, oh, John, it's so nice to meet you and see you. I was like, <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Hold on. So let's talk about your amazing new book, The Evil Eye, right? Uh, it's really, so I don't have a physical copy. Your publisher only sent me a digital copy or I would be holding it up right now. Uh, it's so good because it really does uh, take a lot of the questions out of it. And I have so many things I want to talk to you about in in terms of what you've got going on in this book. And we don't have a ton of time left, but I'm so excited. So um, you touched on it a little bit before about finding the evil eye in all these other cultures, right. right? Throughout the globe, all these other cultures, all these other religions. 
I want to know, A, how did how did you find these things besides talking to people you know that you're going oh you've heard about this in high school but like where did you dig up that kind of research and also was there any place that um you were really surprised that this popped up in any culture you're like wow that's that's really surprising that it's here and also how are they similar and how are they different in the cultural aspects so i the interesting thing is that, again, growing up knowing about it and having, you know, my grandmother who always did it, um, you know, removed, diagnosed malocchio, removed it, and, and did, that was, you know, just everyday life <laughs> growing up. Um, grow, when I decided, so the evil eye itself, the, the whole, the energy of what it is, it's been such a huge part of my life, like a lot of people um, from so many different ethnicities and cultures. It's a part of your, your everyday life. You're, you're raised to believe in, in the eye and in that energy and in the dangers of jealousy and envy and resentment. But I knew I wanted to write a book about it. And I, I did know going into it, I, I knew that it was something um, ubiquitous, that it was in so many cultures, so many countries. I knew that from years of, of other research and just coming across it constantly was something that I always, you know, looked at and, and researched um, and being a writer and being someone who does, you know, who interviews and does research in this book, um, I didn't find that the meaning of the evil eye, which is a curse that is, you know, cast through a look or a glance and it's born from envy and jealousy and negativity, all of that, that, um, that definition I have found really went across the spectrum there was nothing that really sort of veered out of the way what veered a little bit what i was surprised at in in the interviews and in speaking to people was one a lot of people um are will a lot of people want to speak about it but they they don't necessarily want to be open about it and i think that's an interesting thing because growing up not only growing up but even as an adult um, I've had people who have come up to me and, and, or I've been surrounded. I was at a job. I worked once for a, a nonprofit and I was the crazy, you know, new age guy in right. my office. I right. had candles and this and that. And everyone, you know, not everyone, but a lot of the people made fun of me and, you know, quote unquote made fun of me, but it was like, oh, you know, there must be, it's Antonio. There's a ghost somewhere. So call Antonio or, you know, there's a, it was that kind of thing. Mm. And I didn't care, but the interesting thing is that on two separate occasions, two individuals who were absolutely swore that they had they believed in you know none of this stuff. It was I was crazy. They laughed at all mm -hmm. this stuff on two separate occasions. Came into my office, closed the door, and said, "Do you really know how to take off the evil eye? Can you tell me? Because I have stuff going on in my life that I need to tell you. Like it's just outrageous, and there's got to be a curse." So. The experience that I've had so many people um, do, in fact, believe in the evil eye and in the energy that is born of envy, of jealousy. Um, people do fear it. People do understand sometimes that weird stuff is going on. Um, and then to have the other spectrum for to interview people who said, I want to talk to you about it, but this is something that um, is 
you know, I want to speak to you about it, but kind of in a private way. I don't mm. really want to be completely identified. Um, mm. I want to tell you what my culture does or what was done in my home. The practices of diagnosing the evil eye and then dispelling the evil eye, that's really where we got into big differences, you know? Um, mm. In the research for the book and in speaking to a lot of people, the definition and the meaning of the evil eye stayed pretty consistent. Um, it was the way people diagnose and then go about curing it that's, that differed from culture to culture, country to country. And that's true even within Italian culture. You know, to, to diagnose or cure malocchio, things will differ, <clears throat> excuse me, from region to region. You know, sure. Or the oil, the water, <clears throat> excuse me, the prayer, um, that will differ. Sometimes it's a saint. Sometimes it's the Blessed Virgin. Sometimes it's Jesus. But, you know, prayers will differ um, the way it's done. Sometimes people will put the plate on their head. Sometimes it's, you know, your hand in the water. That differs even in Italian culture and in other cultures it differed as well. I found many people said, no, this is how we do it. This is how I did it from my area and, and my family did it this way. Then this is how we knew you had the evil eye. We took it and we threw it in the fire, you know, or right. did it this way, or had, this is how we cured it. It was, you know, circles above the head. It was saying this. Uh, also, and there are a lot of differences. You know, there's the whole thing I go, I mentioned it in the book, in Italian American culture, there's this and in some Italian culture, there's this idea that the whole malocchio ritual and everything has to be passed on on Christmas Eve. Oh. I include a Christmas Eve ritual in there that I that I learned, but that's not true at all. I interviewed many people, many practitioners who did not learn any, anything on Christmas Eve. They learned it when the the aunt, the uncle, the grandmother, the grandfather, the brother, the sister was ready to pass it on. Mm. And that would have been on a hot day in July. It didn't right. have to be consumed. Um, so that's what, what differed, but that's what makes it so ubiquitous is that you could be anywhere. And I think I mentioned in the book, there was a, a young man who was Greek who I interviewed and he was a practitioner and learned how to, you know, to the Mati, Mate is mine, Greece. And he said, I could be anywhere. And he mentioned going on a trip to the Middle East. And he said, I didn't speak the language. But mm. when I started to talk about the, when I pointed to the, you know, the Nazar or to the Hamsa or to that, we understood what that was about. Right. That was completely, oh, I got it. You know, we might be a different culture, a different country, different continent, <clears throat> but I understand wow. what that amulet is for. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's something that always uh, continues to amaze me. Um, and that and, and the fact that so many people who, you know, will say to you, oh, you know, this is crazy, that's crazy, but will still say, you know, uh, can I, you know, my kid's being baptized, should I put the red string on the crib or what should I do? Or, <laughs> right. you know, right. new house, what do I do? To, you know, people are looking at me funny. I got the new job. I mentioned too much. So people will still take these you know, this idea of the evil eye, and they still want to apply it to their lives, understandably, understandably. Well, because it's intrinsic. People know that this is something, they're like, oh, I don't believe in that, you know, witchcraft, blah, blah, blah. But you know, one time my grandmother told me about this thing, and maybe it's true. And, you know, and just in case, well, I'll just do what I can do just to make sure that, eh, you know, that I'm all right, and my family's okay. And I feel like it's basic 
protection magic. Like, you know, and I also think, and, and this may be out of my own ignorance, so so bear with me here, but I think evil eye being someone could cast this curse on you out of spite and jealousy without knowing that they're doing it. That energy of, um, you know, it, it it's not... It's not happening because, I mean, sometimes it is. Somebody's like, well, you know, fuck you because I hate you because you're successful. And and that happens. It really, really happens. But I think in a lot of cases, it's just that pent up, um, again, comes usually from insecurity of, of a person and thinking, you know, uh, more success for you means less for me. And it's like, it's not a pie. Um, but if I look at, the world at large and we look at what's going on in our world and in our our American culture specifically right now in terms of how we're trying to repress people and keep people down and and we're going backwards in a lot of ways out of fear, out of envy, out, out of jealousy. They're not necessarily realizing that what they could be doing is energetically cursing others. Do you have a, a comment or a, a thought on that? Yes, because there are three, I write about three ways that the evil eye basically can be unleashed. The first is just intentionally. You're resentful, you're jealous, that sugar-coated comment, you mm-hmm. know, is, underneath it all is, you know, why did he get the promotion and not me? Why does this one have the house and not me? You know, it's there's envy in there and it's it's intentional. You, you do Absolutely. want, you know, yeah, I want you to suffer a little bit. A lot of people have that. They don't want to admit it, but it happens. Mm-hmm. The second part is people will give, if you've ever seen it, I know growing up, there was a big thing. If anyone ever complimented us like, oh, you know, Italian, oh, my one to see you how, how adorable. It was always God bless. In many cultures, they're still spitting. It's it's actually to counteract the evil eye. Yes. You give it intentionally. That's, you know, or, you know, they'll you know, you knock on wood, you touch something, or in Italian, it's docafero, you know, you touch the iron, you iron, you, that that's to ward it away. And oh that my is- God, I'm remembering, you just hit a memory for me of my grandmother touching something that was iron in her kitchen. Oh my God, like visceral memory. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that's you. That's wow. Just yeah, which sorry. is why people will just in case I gave it to you, I didn't mean to. And then there's the third way, which is, boasting, which is why growing up, although I go back to saying I was, we were always encouraged. There was also that sort of thing of don't talk too much about the achievement. Don't talk too much about, you know, this one's new job or this, this good thing. Don't, don't uh, unveil that new expensive toy (laughs) right away. Do it little by little because you're going to get the eye. You know, Malok is going to hit you. The eye is going to get you. So do it. Don't boast. And that's true even now. So people can bring it upon themselves mm-hmm. by boasting. And I always say, and I say it in the book, you know, be careful about how much you're, you know, talking about these plans that you're making and everything we're doing. Be careful. Be mindful about what's going on because you can bring that upon yourself. Well, you're but attracting you're, envy. You're attracting envy, but also you're in a way tempting fate. You know, you're what's happening you know you're 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 out there talking so much i always say when you're when you hear something because it's loud and it's somewhere out there you're going to hear it and it's kind of the same thing about the eye how that chattering that constant mm. you know putting on these everything on social media everything there this this life is so perfect everything is so good 
that's great if it's if that's what's happening wonderful god bless you that's that's a wonderful thing for you may the gods keep you going and and your family but keep it to yourself a little bit you know so we we grew up very much with that silence mm-hmm. was a very powerful tool mm-hmm. don't say too much Mm-hmm. And if you are going to speak about fortune in your life, speak with gratitude about it. I think universe, the universe hears your gratitude or they hear or the universe hears um, the boast. And I could talk about how much I love living in New England and I have this beautiful house and I'm so grateful for this home and this land and, and, and uh, you know, this life that I've built. But I'm not saying it to be boastful. I am genuinely grateful for the circumstances that put me here. And I think when you are being boastful, again, boasting comes from a spot of insecurity. It comes from fear of loss. It comes from, well, I have to show off how great I am because if I don't, you know, uh, other people will think something different of me versus I'm so fortunate. I'm so grateful that this wonderful thing happened to me. Let me share it with you. I think the intentionality uh, is really important. And one attracts envy because it's coming from a place of uh, disillusion. It's coming from a place of um, fear of loss. It's coming from a place of... um, I'm I'm trying to make it look like something more than it is. Uh, A falseness versus I'm coming from a place of deep gratitude. And envy isn't attracted to gratitude. No, it's not. And living, doing that with the gratitude is a huge, huge thing. And I mention in the book that you don't have to live a life when you take this information, this, you know, the, the first step in combating the evil eye is becoming aware of it. Mm. Awareness of it is a big, big thing. When you're aware of it, you do eventually start to think differently and, and, act differently and let things, um, or you'll, you won't say certain things, but you will say certain things. You do things differently. But I say in the book as well, I'm not trying to scare you into a life of, of silence, or I'm not trying to tell you don't celebrate this beautiful thing that happened to you or your family or anything, but just be mindful of the fact that envy exists. And I say to people all the time, this book is a, a friendly reminder about a very unfriendly topic because mm. people don't want to admit. And but it, but what I'm going to tell you is true. We have all felt envy for someone or something. We have all also, I believe, been the targets mm. of envy. We've all felt that nasty stare. We've all felt that comment. We felt that energy that was that was oh you know that what was that about? I didn't deserve that. So it exists, and it is every human being has felt. Envy, jealousy, anger, resentment. And we've all been the you know on the receiving end of those mm-hmm. of that energy. That's why it's important to understand and to be aware of it. Not so that you walk around, not you know, in silence, not saying anything or or in, in any sort of paranoid about what you're gonna say, but you have to be aware of it. And I and this was something I write about in the book as an example. You know, the whole thing, um, baby showers, I think I mentioned in the book that growing up, yeah, that was a new, I mean, I still remember my mother getting an invitation to Vance being like, what, what, what are they, what is this? Like, what do you mean? You didn't speak about something like that until, you know, 
it was a very delicate subject. You didn't talk about those things. Even, you know, someone bought a new house. You, you really didn't know. You didn't know about that. it until they moved in and well, they were like, hey, we're having I, a housewarming party. And you're like, yeah, you moved? I didn't, wanted to what? tell you. Don't send the Christmas cards at that old address this right. year. We moved two weeks ago. We're in a new house. The keys are done. The house is signed. Right. That's a big thing. Becoming aware of it is um, probably the, the main first step that I always mention to people about. And people have come to me and, and they they do. And, and since the book has now, you know, it's in the wild, as I say, it's been it, many people have their copies. Many people have started to read things. Yes, I, I get a lot. I've gotten a lot more emails than I ever have. Um, and people often ask me and, and they'll say, this is what's going on in my life. And these symptoms, these signs, what is the first step? I always say, become aware of it and yeah. recognize that it exists. It's there. And it's there's a reason why the evil eye um, you know, it's a superstition, but it's also a belief. Mm. And there's a reason why it has survived thousands of years. Yes. And yes. why it's still right now, the practices are so prevalent. And and I mean, look at the, the jewelry, the amulets, the yeah, mazar. They're everywhere. Um, everywhere. 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 Bed sheets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. There's a reason for that because people understand people feel viscerally that understanding about it's, that really amazing and the book is so good um and so i want to know antonio um what do you hope people get out of this book your readers what do you hope they take away from it i hope they take away from it an understanding that despite the fact that we are not in control of so much in this world and in our lives, we can be in control of our protection. We can be in control in terms of the, the energy with, with regard to the evil eye and with regard to jealousy, envy, resentment. Emotions, it's all energy. Okay? Mm. And it doesn't disappear. It just changes form. And I hope people take away from the fact that, take away from the book, the fact that this energy exists it is real. It has probably already affected you in some way if, without you knowing it. Um, and you can take steps and begin to practice um, rituals, small, whether it's, a, it doesn't, not all the rituals I've written about or the, or the spells or the magic, not all of it is rooted in a specific religious tradition. A lot of it, you know, there are herbs. Um, there are simple steps you can take, the use of amulets mm -hmm. to deflect the evil eye. And then if you want to go ahead and learn how to diagnose the evil eye and look at it, you can find that in the book, you can learn. And that's not only for you, but it's because the evil eye affects every area of life, your own personal life, the lives of your family members, children, your home, your finances, your romance, your love life, anything, it affects every area. Okay. Even your object, you know, cars, the house, right, everything. everything. Anything um, that could be an of envy to someone else. And anything. that could be your body type or your hair color or anything. Anything that's like, you can understand that that energy is real and you can begin to cultivate that sense of weight. I understand it now. And I get what, maybe what I was feeling that time mm. that I dismissed a year ago. Mm. 
was that person making uh, that that person was envious that maybe that person and by the way it's not i always always tell people it's not only um we all have people in our pasts who you know there's bad blood there's bad relation you know we all made mistakes that whole, it's not only people in your past who don't want you to succeed there are a lot of people in your present mm. moment in your life right now who for whatever reason don't want to see you maybe get the promotion maybe get married, have a kid, maybe just who don't want to see you live your best life. And it's a tough thing to recognize. Yeah. It is true. And again, I think viscerally, we all understand that and know that. But once we come to that awareness and realization, I think people can come away from the book knowing that they can protect themselves and they can understand that that energy is very real, but it doesn't have to be harmful. They can learn how to deflect it and they can just um, cultivate more of a sense of self-empowerment. Wow. Wow. That is healing. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, it's just so powerful. What you talk about is so powerful because again, you know, having that, like you said, sense of control over your own energetic protection from this particular uh, source that could be coming at you from all angles, known and unknown. Um, it's really, really valuable. And it's a really, really good book. And it's, dare I say, incredibly well written. Uh, it's just a joy to read. You know, I love your personal stories and being able to get to know you through this text. It's really really good. I, I really enjoyed it and learned so much from you. Um, Antonio, where can people buy this book? How can they get in touch with you? The book is available, you know, it, it officially publishes on Monday, May 1st, but it's been, um, it's available on Amazon, any Barnes and Noble, it's available online. It's, it'll be available in bookstores everywhere. Um, you know, it publishes officially on May 1st. Um, and to reach me, um, I am on social media, but I'm also AntonioPaglarulo.com and also uh, ItalianWitch.com. Both are the same website there. Yay. Uh, you can me through there. Um, and yeah, you you know, the book is available. Go go on to Amazon, go on to Barnes & Noble, go to your local bookseller. Uh, yes. Seller, go to your local bookseller, ask for it. They can get it. Independent um, booksellers are the way to go. If you can't get there, Amazon will do. BarnesandNoble.com will do. Um, and check uh, him many out. Of our shops, many of our witch shops. And our, yeah. Our yeah. They'll bring it in for you. You've got a favorite local witch shop or a legal, uh, favorite local bookshop. Just ask for this book, The Evil Eye by Antonio Pagliarulo. Uh, and they'll bring it in for you because local sh shops and small businesses are amazing. And I'm gonna apply. I the cover is so beautiful. I always I gorgeous in the in the book. You know, the book itself is its own kind of amulet. I really feel that. So if you're in the city, you you can spot me. I'll probably I'll, I'm walking around with this. Yeah, hang it around your neck. Very funny. I'm gonna I'm trying to find a chain that'll. Yeah, fold it'll the, be like the, the Italian flavor Flav. That'll be that'll in be. Addition, I have two, so many amulets. I, I need another one, but I'll, I'll I'll wear it. And you know, look what's beside me, Dawn. I, I didn't hold them up. There's you know, talk about the Italian. This is what's on my table. Yes, here. and and mm -hmm. I really like. Okay, my producer's gonna be pissed because he's like, keep it to an hour and we're over. But I don't care. Um, sorry, Corey, you're the best. Um, so, <laughs> uh, 
you had posted something a couple of days ago or last week on one of your social medias that said, how am I like Ronnie James Dio? And, and, okay. And I know the answer to that because my husband is a heavy metal guy. And so Mm -hmm. I know the Ronnie James Dio story, but maybe our listeners don't. So can you share that lore with us? What I believe happened from what I read and is that he grew up with an Italian grandmother Mm -hmm. and that he did this because from what I read, I think he said Ozzy Osbourne used to go out and give the peace sign. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of Ozzy's thing. And he went and said, let me go. And he he said, my grandmother used to do this Mm -hmm. for the yeah, for the evil eye to ward off the evil yes. eye. And that became his way. You know, he knew this symbol sort of intimately and he knew it was a good symbol. It was yep. a symbol to ward away, you know, evil and to, you know, keep the, the bad energy at, at bay. Yep. That's what his grandmother did. And so he did that and it just took. I mean, right. that was people it. thought it was he's Horn. showing devil <laughs> horns and he's so metal. And really he was out there blessing the crowd, protecting his fans from the evil eye. And it's also, by the way, and I know he's Corey's going to, I'm sorry, Corey, I'm just going to say, you know, a lot of people, this I write about in the book, the the cornetta here, it's a mm-hmm. horn, but there's um, a story when Sebastian Maniscalco, the very excellent, very know, excellent Italian comedian. Yes. Amazing. He talks about the story about, um, in his car, he first went to pick up a girl because his father told him about, you're going to get the eye, the maloc. And he said, I had this in the car. And he said, a girl got in the car and said, why is there a red pepper hanging from your car? And he had to explain it wasn't. But a lot of people don't realize that the symbology, the horns, you know, that's a protective gesture, yes. just like that's a horn. It's not a red pepper. But, and, and this is it. It's the monocornuta is what it is here. Yes. And you'll see these horns. And it's what horns do. They protect. Right. You know, that, you know, right. You know, it, that, it's just, happen. there's, like you said, it's, it's so ingrained in such a way in culture that you don't even realize, again, like you're talking about no. little Ronnie James Dio, you know, like one of the grandfathers of heavy metal and he's out there protecting his, his fan base from the mm-hmm. evil eye. And everybody's like, yeah, metal. Um, so, okay. Last question. I promise. Last question. Um, and this is a question I ask to every single guest. It has nothing to do with anything we've talked about. Now, this is kind of a loaded question because you're also Italian. So, you know, but if you could have me as a kitchen witch cook you one magical meal, what would it be and why? So <clears throat> like a like a magical meal, like a, di- like a dish, like a specific meal. Whatever comes to mind. Some people want me to cook like their great grandmother, something or other, or some people are like, oh, I want you to cook me a dish that is basically for this magical purpose. Like whatever comes to mind. You know, I have said, I think it would be a dish of, of, of pasta fagioli. <gasps> because I grew up, my mother, um, growing up is just the most amazing cook. And that dish for me, um, it, I don't know. I think of it, it's it's just a powerful dish. It has everything you need. You know, it's got the protein, the legumes, the beans, and the pasta, you know, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be the pasta fagioli. It it's tastes like home. It tastes like home. And it's, and I, you know what I equate it with? 
it's funny that I equate it with what you, I equate it with safety. And then again, not to be corny about this whole, but I equate it with feeling safe and, and there's a, there's a protective aspect to but this. There, is, there 100% is right. Because my pasta visual is four ingredients, five ingredients, olive oil, yeah. garlic, tomato sauce, water, beans, a little red pepper, a little oregano, right? Everything in that is protection and, and love and prosperity. Every like everything, you know, you're dealing with it's heavy on the garlic. That's all prosperity. That's all protection. Like the, the tomatoes all love, you know. So it it is, and when you're it's one of the it's I actually have my own recipe that's obviously been handed down. Um up on my website. So if anybody felt like making a big bowl of pasta for sure, but every Italian makes it different. different Everybody yes. makes it different. Yes. So, you know, I don't know if mine would be the same as the one your mom used to make. Oh, no, yours would, come on. Your recipes are outrageous. I've seen your recipe, of course. <laughs> Thank and you. And I also would, if I can choose two, uh, you know, I'd want you to make, because uh, I've, I've heard about yours. I want you to make me the, a risotto, a nice risotto I would love. <sighs> <laughs> I made the most beautiful risotto. I catered a charity dinner uh, yeah. last week and I made, shit you not, five pounds. So five pounds of dry risotto is like 15 pounds of cooked risotto. Cooked risotto. Yeah. And I made um, a white wine and a pecorino romano with fresh peas risotto. Mm-hmm. It was, no, it was, it was, yeah. it was so good. It was so good. So we'll just, we'll just have a carb fest. That's just- we'll have a carb fest. And I'm a, and I, you know, listen, I'm the weird one in the family. I've been a vegetarian for many years, but I have my pasta patrol and the risotto for me. Yeah. Are like that's it. Those yeah. And, and so that's a date, John. We have let's to have- do it. When are you coming? When are you coming? Just well, come. I'm, we're going to make a date. We're going to work. Just we're driving come. Up soon. Just any, <laughs> listen, I live in the land of the New England witches. So come on up. Place. You're I here. That. I have a spare room. Best lives in New England. I'm very happy when I'm there. I'm telling you, you have to come, um, and I will make you pasta visual and a garlic bread, and it will be wonderful. Um, okay, so okay, one more question. One more question, and this is this is the this is the important one. Okay, as an Italian New Yorker, is it sauce or is it gravy? It's sauce. It's sauce. I did not know gravy was what you put on like turkey at Thanksgiving if you went out to a restaurant somewhere, but it was sauce every night and it was sauce on Sundays. It was Sunday sauce. Sunday sauce. Um, my mother even would go as far as Sundays to call it the ragu because she put certain meat in it when yes. I was a kid, but you know, the brajola and all that. She oh, brajola. But uh, it's always been sauce. And yeah. yes, this has been a discussion. It like, is a thing. It is a, It is like people go to fight. It's like we go to fisticuffs over it. it we're going to fight, but for, it's sauce. It was, for us, it was sauce unless there was meat. So if it was, if it was, if you had meatballs and brujol and sausage, that was gravy. Right. If it was marinara, it was a pomodoro, whatever that was, then it was sauce even if it was meat sauce if you had chopped meat which they don't say chopped meat up here they call it hamburger um mm-hmm. but if you had chopped meat in your sauce it was meat sauce but it's gravy if it sat on the stove for 15 hours with meatballs and brajol then it was gravy you know then it was gravy. but in my house honestly they called it also the, the sugo il sugo was the, you know, my mother said to make the suga. We actually didn't, and I'm, and again, this is my, I didn't hear the 
word gravy associated with pasta or sauce until later on yeah. in probably teenagers because growing up that the gravy was sort of what was the brown sort of gravy, brown gravy. Put on, on like other things yeah. but a red tomato sauce was just that sauce so I never knew it and then when people started telling me what are you talking about that's gravy that's gravy I was like gravy what do you mean I, I, want, I want tomato sauce I was like I want tomatoes on my pasta I want tomato right. sauce don't put don't put poor ground brown gravy on my pasta what are you like, out of your mind red sauce although come to like, think of it that might be delicious well you know that's actually it might very well it might be delicious it might be really good no we'll have to try it Antonio, you are an absolute delight. I have had the best time with you. You are fantastic. He's uh, promised me to do this again. I, I at some point, yeah, and we'll get together and we'll drink red wine and eat pasta fajol, and it'll be amazing. Um, thank you magic. so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge with all of us. And until next time, everyone, I wish you so many blessings and much, much gratitude.